Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Lord, we thank you tonight that we get to be here. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, for every single person that's placed themselves in the environment of uh, your Holy Spirit tonight, of your word tonight. God, um, we thank you that no matter how tired we are tonight, Lord, that you allow something to go on on the inside of us when we place ourselves in an environment like this, when we honour you with our time like this. So we pray that you would now honour um, our decision to honour you and, uh, and increase, Lord, what you would do in us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are just doing a four-part quick series before Easter called The City, It's Personal. The City, It's Personal. And Daz kicked it off this morning with an amazing word. And uh, he talked about our life witness and how important it is that our life reflects what our message is supposed to be. You know, as Christians, companies should find us the easiest to deal with. Um, it's so hard when... Companies deal with Christians and then that turns them off Christianity, isn't it? That's awful. That's awful when you've been talking to someone about Jesus and the change that he's made in your life and they say, oh, well, I dealt with this Christian and it disarms your witness. It's a bit like it's, it's almost as bad as forgetting to mention that the kids' dinner is ready to go and that if you're a child, you can go and get dinner and come back and sit in your seat. It's nearly as bad as that, but it's... So if you do want to go get dinner and you're a child, you can go and get it and come and sit back down. I don't think there are any... Oh, yeah, there we go. So we're listening to Scotty just then and how God changed his life. And we heard some words that perhaps don't get much traction these days. Words like saved and, um, and words that people are largely unfamiliar with. And even Christians are trying to work out what you, words to use for people that don't know Jesus yet. Uh, they might use words like unsaved, but... Not many people know what that means anymore, saved and unsaved. Um, we also might use words like non-Christians, but no one wants to be a non-anything, and so uh, we, people try not to use that. We try to use maybe biblical words like unsaved or words like far from God, they're biblical words, um, or we use made-up church words like unchurched, actually not a word, but we use that to try and describe people that don't yet know Jesus. And maybe tonight you've been coming to church for years and years and as we talk about this, you'll go, oh, actually I identify with that group of people and that's okay tonight. That's great to know where you're up to in your life and maybe you're visiting here tonight and you'll also identify with that group of people. And so tonight I'd like to at the end give you an action point if that's you. But we're going to start with a scripture um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. And uh, I think Xavier will throw it up on the screen. Great. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ is what we celebrated 
when we just had communion. So let me do some definitions for you tonight. Gentiles, number one. Don't forget that you're Gentiles. Uh, Gentile is anyone who's a non-Jew. If you're here tonight and you're not Jewish, it doesn't matter what colour you are. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. And uh, you're not Jewish, that makes you a Gentile. Um, It says here, uncircumcised heathens. I'm not going to define that for you, but I will tell you that the reason that it says uncircumcised heathens there is that was a racial slap from Jews to non-Jews. Um, you know, maybe tonight uh, you've experienced racism. And, uh, and if you've experienced racism in Australia, then as an Australian, I say, that is awful. And, and I wish that had never happened to you. And you never should experience racism. And I hope that you've never experienced racism inside the church, because that would be absolutely disgusting. But if you have, then, then you, you can call to mind probably very easily the name that you were called. Well, uncircumcised heathens was one of the names of choice that Jews would use for non-Jews for obvious reasons. And um, okay, so they were proud of their circumcision. Um, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You're excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. The people of Israel, known as the Israelites, just Jews, same thing, people of Israel. And so, yes, of course, they're excluded from the citizenship because they weren't Israelites, they were from a different nation. And then it says the covenant, you didn't know the covenant promises God had made to them. Covenant is a legal binding agreement. And God made a legal binding agreement with the nation Israel. And so it's saying because you're not from the nation Israel, you're not aware of the covenant promises that God made to them. But then it says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Without God and without hope. So as we're looking to define the group of people that don't yet know Jesus, the Bible says that we who were once them were without God and without hope. And if they don't know God, then they are still without God and without hope. So I'm going to ask Sarah, my friend Sarah, to come now. Sarah Bertram. She likes to be called Bircho. And so if she comes to the stage, if you'd all like to say, Bircho, Bircho. <laughs> she loves, you can continue with that later. Um, Sarah, I'm going to give you the mic in just a second. We were at Bible study the other day and we're reading through Colossians and you mentioned something which I would love you to share about the people that you know that don't yet know God. Okay, so um, Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead in your sins and then it says God made you alive. And it got me thinking, we are now alive as Christians, but it's people who aren't. They're dead, like their life is in death and that's just heartbreaking to think about because quite often they portray a great life to the way that it's quite deceptive so you don't remember or you don't think about it that way but thinking of it that way was actually quite confronting um, and it just broke my heart for my friends and my family that are in that situation and they don't realise that they're living in death and that was my main thought. Yeah, it's awesome. Can we thank Sarah? She doesn't like the microphone. <laughs> um, it, it's hard to think about. It's sometimes to us in the nation that we live in and the, the culture that we have, we feel like it might be a bit elitist. We feel, like, we feel like we've got all the answers and we're better, but that's never the case that God wants. It's what Sarah said when she said it's quite confronting and it's actually heartbreaking. That's the attitude that we should have. So though we now, it says that we are citizens and we are recipients of the promise, the covenant promises that God promised to Abraham, we are now recipients of. There's some amazing promises that God made to Abraham. Abraham. Things like you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above and not beneath. There's so many promises 
In the Old Testament, one of our go-tos is Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has given you a future and a hope. That's one of the things that God said to the people of Israel. But there's a whole, whole host of things that he said before that, that he says that we are now the recipients of all those promises. They all belong to us. But specifically for us tonight, we, we've received peace between us and God. Jesus dying on the cross means that we now have a peace between us and God that we didn't know before. I don't know about you, but I just had this constant kind of feeling of unease as it related to me and God. Maybe you didn't think about it so much, but I just knew that something wasn't quite right. But when I decided to follow Jesus, when he came knocking on the door of my heart, as it were, and I opened the door to him, then there was a peace that came between me and God that only grew. It didn't, wasn't that one time and then it folded away. It only grew. And then there was this promise, not only for this life, but promise for eternity. And so now every Christian funeral that I go to, oh my goodness, it's full of joy. It's full of life. Our next door neighbour, I remember the first Christian funeral I went to, Mr. Lever who said that he was going to advertise some potty lambs, the little fat lambs, and put a picture of me on there when I was like six. That's my original wound. Um, no, it's not. But Mr. Laliva, he, he, we, he's, uh, he had like seven kids or something, and they conducted the funeral service in the Civic Centre in Cowra, and it was a celebration. People with their hands in the air praising God. And one thing that he'd said, he wanted the gospel preached when he went to be with Jesus. And the gospel was preached. People responded and decided to follow Jesus at his funeral. It was so awesome. When did you decide to follow Jesus? Oh, I had some dude's funeral. It's so great. And not only that, not only do we have the promise and, and this kind of assurance of eternal life, but we've got power to live this life. The Bible says that when we accepted Jesus, that he marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You may be trying to still be filled by the Holy Spirit, but he says he, you were marked with a seal on salvation of the Holy Spirit that says that now you're saved and now you're his. And so he says, I'm going to give you power to live this Christian life. You think you can't live it. You wonder how you ever will, but my Holy Spirit will empower you to live this Christian life. How awesome is that? I know this is, you don't like clapping, but just give Jesus a clap right now for everything that he's done. We are citizens with him. And, uh, and it's like David and Hema Mahalingam. Does, do people remember Dave? He used to play keys. And Hema, who used to be on the door, they're in Sydney now at, at uh, Hillsong Church. Dave um, and Hema, we went to their citizenship ceremony. And they were Singaporeans. And there were two groups of people at the citizenship ceremony. There were those who were allowed to retain the citizenship of their home country. And there were those like David and Hema who had to renounce the citizenship of their home country. And David and Hema, in order to become Australians, had to no longer be Singaporeans. There were English people there that they were allowed to retain their English citizenship and then become Australians as well. However, the Singapore government says, no, you want to go be citizens of another nation? you're going to give up your citizenship of this nation. And so they had to renounce their citizenship. That means that anything that they used to know in Singapore, like tax returns, they no longer get. Any, any government subsidies or government handouts or anything like that, David and Hema no longer have access to. And it's the same with us. When we become citizens of heaven, we renounce the citizenship of our life that we had. And we say we no longer want to be, get, get the benefits that we used to have from that. And who knows that often the benefits can look like they're quite good and we want to receive the benefits again. But actually, God says, no, I've called you out of that kingdom, like Scotty said, and into the kingdom of light. But what does it mean for the people that we've left behind in that kingdom? Well, number one, number one tonight is what it should mean is identification for us. You see, we should never, ever 
judge the people that are still yet to know Jesus and their lifestyle and say, gee, it's disgusting the way that they live. Like, come on. Oh, like, how, did, how does he go out drinking like that and leave her? Yeah, okay, we acknowledge that there's ways that they should not be living. Absolutely. But for us to judge that, let's look at some scriptures tonight. Let's look at these. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Romans 11.30, once you Gentiles were rebels against God. 1 Corinthians 6.11, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Colossians 3.7, you used to do the things when your life was, started part of, was still part of this world. Titus 3.3, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives are full of evil and envy and we hated each other. 1 Peter 4, 3. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. <sighs> I'm trying to build up my lung capacity. I'm doing the swim for Mikey in the tri-freedom race. So I'm just trying to get as many words in there as possible. Not really. Okay. All of these, once you were. Once you were. So if we ever stand in judgment, that's our first mistake. Because we need to actually look at people that have not yet decided to follow Jesus and go, but for the grace of God, I would still be there. But for the grace of God, I would still be there. If that is not our immediate response... Then, then there's something that we need to adjust. Number two, that should then lead to empathy. That should lead to empathy. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 and chapter 6, verse 11. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So once again, don't let your response be judgment. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Identification should propel us to empathy, not to judgment or to rating sin, but to empathy. Here's a definition of empathy. Empathy is the experience of understanding another person's thoughts, feelings and condition from his or her point of view rather than from one's own. Now, people will always accuse the church of bigotry. They just will. But it shouldn't be from us making dumb judgment calls that God didn't ask us to make. We should always stand in truth and stand in righteousness. But if we're just making judgment, snap judgment calls on people, that's our error, not theirs. So we need to remember that identification, that's where we would be, but for the grace of God. And empathy, that's where we could be right now, but for the grace of God. It's kind of the saying the same thing, but just swapping out one letter in could and would. So how's our direction from here? How does our theology determine our direction from here? So from here, we've got one way to go. And we can go, well, okay, thank you, Lord. I'm now in, in this relationship, this right relationship with you, but now I'm following you. So now, God, there's all those people, and I'm just going to leave them to you, God, because I believe that you worked in my heart and maybe... 
Maybe you're a person that no one ever talked to about Jesus. Maybe no one ever invited you to church. Maybe you just got curious all of a sudden. And so we can kind of go, well, God, you'll deal with all those people. And number three, it can lead us to resignation where we just kind of go, okay, God, I'll leave those guys to you. Or at the very least, I'll wait until they ask me a question because I don't want to offend them and, and I don't want them to think that I'm assuming anything about them and we relegate them to their... And, and that's great to wait for people to ask us questions and let our life be a witness to them, but can we all agree that that's a bit limited? That if that's all we do, that that, that could take a very long time? So maybe rather than resignation and just saying, God, that's on you and trusting God to do a sovereign work in them, maybe we can examine God's heart and allow us and our heart to line up with his. In Luke chapter 15, there's three stories, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And they're three of my favorite stories. Now, back then, it was an agrarian society that he was talking to, so they understood how valuable a sheep was and how it needed to be brought back into the fold. And and let me just say that how um, just messed up are the mathematics of grace. Like if a sheep is so valuable, how would you leave 99 and go after one? So I think that says something to us about God's heart of grace and how he actually wants to, I think he says this, Philip Yancey, he says that actually for God to leave the 99 and go after one, that mathematically doesn't make sense, but that's his heart for the lost. That's how much he cares. And, uh, and I, I really identify with the story of the widow and the coin. You see, that story tells about how a widow loses a coin. And I guess we automatically just see it through our context. And, and in our family, it just doesn't even pick up five-cent coins anymore, do you? Like, they can go up the vacuum cleaner. What's the point of having a five-cent coin? Like, the notes are what we look after. They're what we take care of. If it's a goldie, sure, maybe. But, but maybe not either for Daz. And, uh, but I pick up every single coin, so I identify with the widow. I know those five senses all add up to something. I only need a hundred of them and I can get a coffee. <laughs> wow. That just really makes me wonder the value of coffees. Um, but then they didn't have notes. A coin was valuable. And a widow, she didn't have much hope. She needed everything she could get. A widow was one of the poorest of the poor people. They were unprotected. So if you've ever, maybe a better example for us in our world is when you lose your keys. <laughs> Don't you turn the house upside down when you lose your keys. You look everywhere. Or maybe you're organised enough to have spares somewhere close and, or, or you never lose your keys and, and I'm, I, I don't even know who you are if that's you. But, um, but, but if you're downtown and you've been to four places and you've left your keys somewhere and you're like us and you've just got the single key and you've been given a tile for Christmas that, that you can actually access on your iPhone and, and use Find My Phone to find the tile that should be attached to the key but you lost the tile so you can't do that. That is, that's kind of uh, someone's life in the room without mentioning any names. <laughs> but, but you go to every single place to try and find the key and you ask and, and when you finally get to a place and say, did I leave my key? And they go, yes, it's just here. You're like, oh, yes, thank you, thank you so much. And that's the story of the widow and her lost coin. She turns her house upside down, keeps looking and it says the joy that she feels when she finds a lost coin and it compares that joy, that relief to the joy the father feels when one lost person returns home to where they're meant to be. It says there's much rejoicing, and not just of the Father, but of the angels in heaven 
How cool is that? We kind of just throw it off as a statement. Oh, praise the Lord. Three people raise their hand this morning. Oh, there's a party in heaven because of you. What? <laughs> like, really? There's a party in heaven? Are you serious? What do you mean? Like, what are they serving? <laughs> I need to know from when I go there. <laughs> Resignation. My favorite story is the one about the lost son. You see... When Jesus was telling this story, he's telling it to Orthodox Jews. And they lived on one side of the Sea of Galilee. But just over the other side of the Sea of Galilee was what was known as the Decapolis. Ten cities. Over here on this side of the sea, you've got Orthodox Jews who go to the synagogue, that have a Sabbath, that everything is very much ordered and, and right. But over this side... It's cities that are in licentiousness, that their worship is vastly different to the worship that's going on over here. And so when it says that this, this boy says, I need to take my fortune, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance, and he goes away, that was something that happened back then. Boys left their homes and went over here to where the parties were going on. Doesn't happen anymore, but it used to happen back then. So he goes across and, and he gets to the point where he realises like we hope that Sarah's loved ones one day realize that even though their life feels good and while ever his life is good, he doesn't realize and it takes him to get to a very low station. But then he says, oh, it was so much better in my father's house and he decides to go home. And what we love about this story is that the father hadn't given up and was in his recliner flicking channels just going, what are you doing home? No, his father was out looking every single day. And that when the son came home, that he wasn't arriving to a passive father. His father ran towards him because he'd been looking the whole time. That's the father's heart, looking the whole time, searching and seeking out that which is lost. And so if we're not going to be those who live in resignation because we're not like, well, God, you'll handle that. No, we want to line our hearts up with the father's heart and we want to search and seek for the lost as well. We who are found, we don't want to be elitist, we don't want to feel like we've got it all together and, or anything like that. No, our hearts need to break for those who aren't there yet. And we need to be constantly looking out onto the horizon. God, who are you going to bring across my path today? So instead of resignation, we won't go to resignation, we'll go to number three. Instead of the other number three, we'll go to responsibility. We will take responsibility. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I often joke about my feet. That maybe people, apart from my height, would confuse me for a hobbit. Because they're really large and hairy. I know I just made myself so attractive to you. The Bible says that my feet are beautiful. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you say, how you tease me about my feet. Llewellyn, my feet are beautiful. <laughs> I got a bit sidetracked. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Many of you would know the story about Rick Warren's dad, the man who wrote, What on Earth Am I Here For?, who on his deathbed 
kept trying to get up. And everyone's like, no, Dad, just relax. Just, just let go. Just go to Jesus. It's all good. And he kept saying, just one more. I just got to go tell one more about Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if Jesus is standing on the edge of heaven pleading with us, just one, just go and tell one, will you? Just get out there and tell one. Rick Warren's dad, just one more. So this can lead us with an incredible burden because when we go around, we see our family like Sarah and we're like, oh God, like it could ruin every family dinner party, right? Because we just look at them and we know we know the, their eternity. We know an eternity without God is something to just unfathomable and we don't even want to think about it. And so we feel this burden and everything could become incredibly burdensome. Going to work could be burdensome as we recognise the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. With our friends going to musical rehearsal could be a burden because we look around and we're like, are any of these people godly? Like, what's going to happen to them, God? And everything could become a burden. So we need to have another element because otherwise we would just find it all too hard. And this is number four, last one, a holy realisation. A holy realisation. And this is a realisation that God is at work. That it's not on us only. It is on us because how will they hear unless we tell them, but it's not on us only. Uh, we're just part of this beautiful symphony and we're just bringing our instrument to the symphony and playing our part in the symphony. We're just doing our little part in, in connecting the tapestry together. We're just operating on our corner and wherever we find ourselves, bringing what we need to to the table. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9 says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. There needs to be a seed though, right? In order for God to make it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Listen to this. We are both God's workers and you are God's field and you are God's building. So if we're God's workers, we better be working. If we're God's field, we better be standing in the field, growing, bearing fruit. If we're God's building, we better be those living stones that are being built up together, not just isolated, standing out on our own. So we allow God to do what only God can do and we just play our part well. This holy realisation that God is going to make it grow. God is the one that's going to make it grow. Um, I heard this thing re recently about Carl Lentz. Uh, if you don't know who Carl Lentz is, he's one of the Hillsong New York pastors and he's an incredible soul winner. And he was asked, why, why did people just flock to you, Carl? How can you just go down the street and, and tell a person about Jesus and then they want to follow him? And he says, I just assume that everyone wants to know. Why wouldn't they? Oh, doesn't God need to do some realigning in our thinking today? Don't you and I assume that people don't want to know? And we feel like we're infringing on their personal space when we tell them. We wonder if God, are, yet, are they ready yet? Are they going to open their hearts? Cullens walks into a place assuming that people want to know what he's got and why wouldn't they? Because they want to be saved and set free from everything that they know. Something we'll talk a little bit more about in the next one is that vegans, something I heard recently as well. Vegans. They tell you everything about themselves. You can't meet them for five seconds without them telling you that they're a vegan. If you're at a restaurant and someone's dying on the floor and someone says, is there a doctor in the house? Someone else puts up their hand and says, no, but I'm a vegan. Like they're the solution to everything. 
vegans let you know that they're a vegan. <laughs> we can just share our experience. You know, I hear people more passionate about keto than they are about Jesus. Find it so easy to talk about because it's changed their life. Someone else has changed their life. Let's just talk about that. And then pray for workers. That's also a part that's desperately needing to be played. So let's just play our part. Let's play our part well and let God do what He can only do. Lord, tonight maybe you're like, I think I'm in the group of people that you're talking about that don't know Jesus yet. As you've been talking, I've been realising more and more that actually that's more the group that I'm in. And, and so I realise that I need to... I need to give my life to Jesus. So tonight, if there's anyone in the room that's like that, everyone else is just going to give you a moment of privacy and just close our eyes. And if that's you, I wonder if the, tonight you would say, yeah, I realise that actually I am not friends with God. I don't have peace with God. I haven't decided to follow Jesus. If that's you tonight and you'd like to make that decision, do you just want to go ahead and raise your hand? doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church or if it's your first time, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to, if you want to follow Jesus tonight, you want to make that decision, just go ahead and raise your hand now. And that's good. That makes this next one very easy because it says here, you can open your eyes again. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Tonight, Let's get sent. I'm going to pray for boldness. I'm going to pray for confidence. I'm going to pray for an ease. And if you want that prayer tonight, you go ahead and stand up. It's all right if you sit down, by the way. Don't, don't feel like you have to stand up. Like, no one's judging here. We just want to be honest here in this place. If you know that... You, you find this difficult, you know that it's hard for you or, or you just have gotten a bit apathetic rather than empathetic about it, then you go ahead and stand up and we're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you to pray after me and then we'll just take 10 seconds of just the musicians playing just for you to, in your own words, ask God what you need Him to do in your life in order for you to share the gospel. So if you'd like to pray after me, dear Jesus, here am I, send me. I pray for boldness. I pray for confidence. I pray for the right words. Help me to be clear about what you've done in my life. Help me have opportunities. Help me see opportunities to share you with people. Send me, Lord Jesus. Let's just take 10 seconds now. Ask him in your own words. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.